suppose I've always been very, um, you know, individually minded. I try to make up my own uh, decisions on things. From a uh, from a young age, um, uh, my mom used to uh, like bring me to the library and always encourage me to read a lot and kind of. Uh, so I developed kind of an autodidact. I like to say I'm a practicing skeptic. So I just try to engage in doubt and to try and come to the best arguments for things. So I've been concentrating on helping people find ways to make money because that's really the first building block. That I think if you were to talk about migration in the 21st century, but really migration at any point in human history, it's always one of the most complicated questions. Like that's what a lot of people don't realize is that in a lot of countries, all they have is CNN right. or what is the equivalent of CNN. Just get a residency. You know, as we saw when they locked down borders, uh, you know, in March 2020, uh, it was just kind of an overnight thing. And um, if you had a residency, you were able to open, you were able to enter different countries. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Episode, wow, 64. Leaving Your Homeland with James Guzman. James is from borderlessblog.com. Him and I, we, we, we initially got to know one another over a Twitter spat. And, you know, like reasonable men, we decided to have a podcast instead of being mad and creating like unnecessary beef. And we actually didn't even talk about the beef, which is kind of funny. But James, like I said before, is from borderlessblog.com. Now, as you know, I like to think of a good conversation as kind of like being a good piece of jazz. And a good conversationalist has to have some of the same qualities as a jazz musician. And those qualities are understanding the basics, but being willing to improvise and coordinate and listen to the other person. And that's what I try to do in these conversations. And hopefully that comes through. So the big circle for the conversation that we get into is leaving the country of your birth. Becoming an expatriate isn't a new concept. Surely we all remember American artists at the turn of the century taking up residence in a place like Paris. Now, France might not be the final destination today, but that doesn't mean becoming an expat isn't in your future. While many people assume America is the freest country in the world, that doesn't answer whether America is the freest country for you. And it's that kind of opening that leads into the conversation that I had with James. I was happy to have it. It was a good, it was a good talk. I may even hit him up if I'm, once I figure out how to make income, make income that isn't dependent on a location. Because as I say, it's possible your humble host might relocate to a place like Mexico. We also talk about left and right, progressivism and corporatism, and blow, arguing with a socialist in college, so much more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with James. Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, I will hit record. and an escape from the woke. Thank you, computer. All right, James, I like to say a little bit out of laziness, but really because I'm really, in, I've become even more interested as I've been studying at this idea of identity from a philosophical angle. I always like to start by asking my guests a question. It was like, how do you identify? But maybe a better way of asking the question is, what what are the components that kind of makes up who you are? Yeah. Well, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, definitely something that uh, you know people could take a lot of time to think about. Well, I, you know, I suppose I've always been very um, you know individually minded. I try to make up my own uh, decisions on things, and uh, you know, for whatever reason that uh, how I was brought up and um, and that kind of thing, I've just never been afraid to think. Uh, completely different from everywhere else, try to blaze my own path and kind of had some uh, leadership qualities that allow me to have other people that um, 
you know, can, can, I don't want to say follow me, but, you know, can maybe uh, agree with me. I can persuade some people. And that's always been kind of a big part of my personality. Uh, I've always, uh, you know, wanted to go to, uh, you know, do things and go to places that I wanted to go. I've never felt like I'm stuck somewhere or I'm stuck in a certain job. That's always seemed kind of a weird thing to me um, that you should be able to uh, form your own uh, path and, uh, and not let, you know, other things like that, whether it's your past or your family or your city or your job or all these things weigh down, you know, the rest of your life that you have to, you know, have the, the, the courage to change that and um, to not have those things bog you down. So those are definitely some big things that, um, that, you know, makes me, but I would say that, you know, another thing is from a, uh, from a young age, um, uh, my mom used to uh, like bring me to the library and always encourage me to read a lot and kind of, uh, so I developed kind of an autodidact type of uh, skill where I was able to teach my, teach myself different things, uh, delve into certain topics by myself. And I think that's definitely a huge part of uh, what's made me today and just the ability to follow things that I'm interested in and, uh, you know, learn things by myself. And that oftentimes makes for the most interesting kinds of people to talk to. Um, yeah. You know, Penn Jillette recently, you know, I guess he supported Newsom, which I don't know how that ended up, yeah. but I, I always liked his stuff. I've met him. He was a nice guy. It was right after he cut his hair and I had long hair at the time. So he was like, oh, sorry, I don't have a ponytail. Um, but one thing he would say is he liked to ask people like three questions. And if he, and if he could guess the third question based off your first two answers, he wouldn't be interested really in talking to you anymore because if you, but if you gave him one answer that was a little bit outside of the, the frame, he was like, Oh, this is somebody I can, you know, have an interesting conversation with because they don't fit into a pre uh, a pre-subscribed mold. Right. So right. I like to, <clears throat> I talk about how, you know, it's just like the basic thing for what I do with the been awake project. I try to trying to engage in better sense making, which is kind of uh, I'm trying not to sound too, what's the word? contrived to call oneself a philosopher. I think that's something left for, for history, but I love philosophy, economics. Um, I like to say I'm a practicing skeptic. So I just try to engage in doubt and to try and come to the best arguments for things. So kind of similar to what you were saying. Now, initially we were talking before I hit record of how we kind of originally got engaged. And I want to do that, that part a little bit later, but it was kind of just a, it was a Twitter spat, right? It wasn't really anything crazy. And obviously we're talking now, we're both reasonable people. But when I did a little research on you, I discovered your podcast. The It's the Borderless Podcast, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Borderless Podcast, where basically if I have this right and feel free to correct me, you kind of talk with other people that have effectively become expatriates, right? And I can remember like reading about early 20th century uh, you know, like uh, Hemingway and all those guys and how they were all expats. And maybe we're at a time where more Americans will become expats. I'm not sure. But why don't you, if you could kind of describe the journey that led you to creating that show and the more, or maybe start with the, like the, the, the actual application of it. Like, what is it that you're trying to do with your show and with the people that you talk to? Okay. Well, first I'd say that, I mean, it's not maybe, uh, this is the way, the way that I've made my life, you know, made a living for uh, about going on 10 years now is helping people expatriate, um, helping people invest overseas and things like that. I mean, I, I do uh, consultation calls. I help people with uh, real estate insurance, all this type of thing, immigration stuff. Um, I have contacts to help with immigration and um, that kind of stuff. So, and there are tons of people um, I would say that these days, a lot of them are Canadian, uh, but you get, there are lots of people that are coming down here. Um, there are tons of expatriates. So this is definitely not something that's like maybe on the horizon. This is something that's happened and something that's been going on. And, um, you know, the number of people officially expatriating, meaning giving up their passport has gone up and up and up for a long time, like I said, maybe 10, 15 years is, is about the trajectory that we just see it kind of, and it's mostly because of taxation issues. People that think that, well, if they're not gonna be living in the States, then why the hell are they paying taxes in the States? Because they have worldwide uh, taxable income. So even if yeah. you live over, yeah. So people say, you know, screw that. So they uh, renounce. And there are more and more people doing that, pretty exponential, like um, just, you know, recently, but that's a trend that's continuing. 
So um, out from, for the show and for what I do, I mean, basically my, uh, you know, I started out with what was called the PT philosophy or um, the, the flag theory. And this is something that there's a lot of, it was pretty big um, uh, 20 years ago or something like that. Uh, probably the most, the one that people m m most know that was kind of subscribed to that was um, uh, Doug Casey. Uh, he's kind of, uh, you know, in the small libertarian uh, liberty camp uh, that a lot of people are aware of. And uh, he, he popularized that uh, uh, along with many other types in that kind of, it was more in like, the Harry Brown, Ron Paul years, um, because and, and the reason for that is because it was a lot easier to do this type of stuff back then. Um, so a lot of it was around secrecy. So, you know, a lot of it was on uh, online secrecy. A lot of it was on like using bear share companies and things like that and overseas and where governments can't see it or using different types of offshore banks and all this. You can still do strategies um, like this, but it's nowhere near what it was 30 years ago. I mean, as you know, uh, you know, having uh, tracking, you know, trying to not be tracked by some phone or somebody else's phone or some camera is basically impossible. You know what I mean? <laughs> These days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, so it's, you know, there used to be a lot of tricks you can do and they would have these special phones that would block some. You can do some of that stuff. And you know, another thing is that the financial system, the worldwide financial system is run by the United States federal government. I mean, if any bank or any institution wants to do anything with dollars, then they, they are beholden to the, to the Federal Reserve. They got to give up, you know, the, the, the IRS and all that. They, they have to give up all, uh, you know, American persons, which you could be married to an American. You could have lived there 30 years ago and you're considered a person's person, then um, they have to give all that, you know, to the to the government and they have to abide by all their rules and they have to do that. So basically, you know, the, this idea that some a lot of people still have that, you know, that they're just, you know, planes and people coming off with, with you know, uh, suitcases full of cash, the burying money or whatever, and all this, you know, different types of bear share uh, companies that you can have in a trust. That's not a thing anymore. So that was kind of how I started it, but um, with the idea, you know, of, of borderless, it was, you know, with the conversation that we were having about bringing liberty, let's say, you know, in that way, you bring liberty to yourself, right? If you, if you uh, can obviously make your money go a lot longer, if you can pay less in taxes, and this is the thing with the taxes too, uh, with the conversation we were having before, people would say that, you know, you should be happy to pay more taxes because it means you're making more money. Well, I mean, I get that. You know, Grant Cardone says that, and uh, I'm never happy to pay taxes. And right. even if you're making, <laughs> even if you're making a lot of money, you should be you should not be paying. You should avoid paying taxes as much as possible. I don't want to be paying more taxes. I don't care about that. So, anyways, um, and uh, uh, so then I just kind of got into yeah, basically uh, tax strategies, living in places that cost less that you can have more freedom. Cause you know, that's another thing is I guess a lot of the American Liberty movement, you know, they can never get it in their head that maybe you can have more freedom in other countries. I mean, maybe the United States is the most free country in the world. I don't know if that <laughs> for some reason doesn't compute, but it, yeah. the, you know, there, there are different things that it, it depends on what you want to do. You know, it depends on what freedoms you really want to take advantage of. No, there's no some place where you can do whatever you want, obviously. But if you love driving 200 miles an hour, you can go to Germany and drive on the, the uh, Autobahn, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you, uh, there's all kinds of things that you can do down here where I live in Mexico, you could never get away with in the United States, right? So yeah. I find my life to be extremely more free down here. And um, so uh, yeah, so basically I, I found that that's, and I, I've been concentrating on helping people find ways to make money because that's really the first building block, a make money independent, like location independently or with investments or things like that, passive income, because once you have that building block in place, you can do so much more, you know, before then, if you're beholden to a job or, you know, you're stuck in a city because that's your career and all this then that's really going to hold you back. But once you have that building block of having some sort of location independent income, it can really change your life. So that's what I've been concentrating on, like talking to different people that help people with that or have done that and how maybe that other people can accomplish that.
And so you do that effectively in like a, in a consulting basis. Was that, would that be like one of the well, boxes or. Sure. I, I can, you know, I, I, I do coaching as well. That that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit harder with the uh, with the making money part. Cause I said, that's like the big building block and it's really different for everybody. Most yep. of the consulting, what I do is people that um, uh, they want to move abroad. Okay. Uh, they don't know how that questions about insurance questions about real estate um, things like that, because it's really hard for me to tell you. I mean, I could tell you how other people do it, but it's hard right. for me to tell it's, you know, how to start a, you know, you could start a blog, you could start a podcast, you could start an Amazon store, you could, you know, learn how to flip houses, or you, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do to make money or, you know, buy rental real estate. Um, but it's really going to be depending on any, everybody's situation, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny when you were when you were talking about that with just expatriations going up, even from Canada, which you can kind of understand uh, with with yeah. what the Canadian government has done over the last year. Um, but it, what it's we're recording this at the beginning of October uh, 2021 for posterity's sake. And it's we're at we're at another one of those influxes of the oh, my gosh, can you believe it? This caravan that's been coming to the United States for six months has finally arrived. And supposedly the numbers are up. Suppose you know that you can you can interpret this stuff however you want to. But what was interesting to me is just that like that counterintuitive notion where all these people are trying to come in, and yet a lot of times when people reach a certain level of wealth or independence or you know retirement and they want that dollar to go farther, it's actually you know it's it's I don't want to say immigration in reverse because that's not what it is. It's people like relocating to make their lives better. I don't know if that I don't know if that strikes a chord with you, but I find I find it a little interesting, kind of the the reverse flow in that in that. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of contradictions with that. Um, yeah. So so first, I would say with a lot of people that you know the immigrants, um, the migrants going to the United States, what I see here, you know, obviously a lot of the people that have immigrated to the United States over the last decades have been Mexicans, right? I live in Mexico. Um, I you know. And like my wife is Mexican, uh, I, uh, my people I work with are Mexican. So I'm, you know, I speak Spanish. So I'm like very, in, in, you know, I talk to people on the ground here. And a lot of people still have the idea of like United States, you know, like from Hollywood movies and all this type of stuff. And that, you know, they think they're going to go there and they're just going to make a bunch of money and, and buy a Mercedes and, you know, like, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's really like, I mean, I'm sure there are people in, you know, like situations where they have to leave and they're basically like refugees or something. But for the most part, you know, the people that I see, they just go because they think they're going to have a higher standard of living. Not that it's, it's, you know, so bad here. They just think, well, they're there. Look, at you know, look, I can get a big house, you know, in LA and, you know, they see all these things about California and, you know, maybe, maybe, the, you know, the government helps people and they'll just set you up with a house and all this type of stuff. So it's more like a, like a bling bling lifestyle rather than, you know, and I try to tell them like, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because it's not what I did, but yeah. you know, that when they're starting out, if they're not making so much money here, at least they have a network, they speak the same language. Um, and uh, it's, it, they're not going to go to California and just, you know, make a bunch of money. They're probably going to be living in a house with 10 people doing backbreaking, backbreaking work, not making much money. And maybe they'll end up under a bridge. Maybe they'll end up, you know, end up in, in, uh, you know, uh, in border patrol for how long or, you know, uh, um, in jail or something. I mean, it's not as great as a lot of people think. So I, I just, I think that that's what's behind a lot of that stuff, but not all of it, but um, yeah. And, and certainly there are, you know, when, when people get a lot of money, they want to have their, you know, their beach homes in different countries and all that type of stuff. And uh, one of the, well, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm going to get into some, some more complicated tax things, but maybe that's too complicated. Um, but uh, yeah, for sure. But, you know, obviously when you're, uh, when you can retire, you know, a lot of people have mm -hmm. this idea of retiring, you can, you know, get a lot more bang for your buck uh, overseas, you know, I mean, for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, that called to mind because I think that's what most people, or I certainly thought of as like one of the reasons why people would leave the United States and move somewhere else is basically your money's going to go further. I mean, <clears throat> you know, my, I've talked about how my grandparents were refugees from Cuba during the communist revolution. So yeah, we can, we can talk about like refugees and we can try and mitigate the 
And I think I've said before on my show and, and on the pages of been awake and what I've written that I think if you were to talk about migration in the 21st century, but really migration at any point in human history, it's always one of the most complicated questions you can really try to ask about who we are as a species, what the future holds. And this is where like, you know, I don't, I don't know that. Um, well, I know I was, I was gonna say, I don't know that they have any solutions. The, the solutions that the people in power currently have is not, are not really geared around. Um, they're not really geared around making things better for the people living in the country or for the people coming into the country as it, <laughs> no. as it stands. No, quite and, the opposite. I would say a lot of times. Yeah. And I, I, I personally, I will say Mexico is on my short list of places that I would consider relocating to, if not the United States, I've visited it a few times for business and I really like it. And my Spanish isn't great, but it would get a lot better if I was using it all the time. And, yeah. and, and it's, and I do, and I love the people and the food and, you know, there's a lot of elements of the culture I enjoy and, you know, all those, all those types of things that make it not a difficult decision. One thing that I've, I, I like to talk to people about because or just bring up is I was, it's in the, it's, I'm sure it's in other airports, but the one in Silao in particular, I'm thinking of, and as you're going through immigration, there's this little cartoon on the wall and it's all about how you shouldn't think poorly of Central American refugees, because a lot of the migration we're seeing isn't necessarily from Mexico. Like if, as far as I know, as far as the numbers go, it basically peaked in 2010 has been on a decline ever since. So a lot of the a lot of the migration patterns you see are actually people coming from Central America, right? Places south of Mexico. They're working their way all the way up to try and come into the United States. But you you go through the different frames of this cartoon. And it's basically what I love is how it's something that would exist in the United States, right? They have the care the redneck character. He's just wearing, I think in the I think he might actually be wearing a sombrero and a um oh gosh a poncho with like the mexican colored flags on it and he kind of like you know he's fat and he looks he looks angry and then you have like the stern oh. teacher in the corner who's trying to explain to him why you know why it's why it's wrong to think poorly of them you don't know what they came from maybe they really needed yeah. to come to mexico to have this job and i think certainly if you i mean you you're, you're somebody who traveled so you can understand that but for people who have lived their entire lives in one place or maybe just a couple of places, right? You know, maybe you've lived in, maybe you've lived in different areas of California or the, or the Northeast or the Midwest, where generally speaking, you're talking about similar cultures, similar experiences. It's easy to think that the people like on the other side of the world are that different. And you tell me if you've ex experienced the same thing, which is just effectively, no, you can kind of find the same type of person anywhere. And so I just love this little cartoon that's basically saying, hey, Mexicans, don't be racist. I went on a date. <laughs> I went on a Tinder date. That, and this girl was from a well-established family in the area that she's from. And she had just gotten back from Paris, getting her master's in, like, in climate change or something. I think it was literally oh, climate boy. change or sustainability. That's what it was. And she was yeah. a very nice girl. And we talked, but I, at multiple points, I'm like, wow, I could be having this conversation with some, you know, some chick from Chicago who went to who went to UIC or who went to some other major university in, in, in Chicago and having the same conversation about how, and you know, I'm privileged and it's just so awful and we need to invest in sustainability yeah. for the workers. And it's just, and I'm having this conversation in a country where if you talked to people in the United States, they'd be like, well, I mean, just everybody down there, just, they just want to come here or they, you know, you can't look down on them. There's nothing wrong with them. And I, I don't, do you have any ideas as to where that comes from where, effectively we always um we always look at like i guess maybe the lower classes it's this like it's this inability it's this it's america i guess being the center of the world in a sense is i guess what i'm driving at because i remember being like oh well my family's from cuba like you're not cuban you don't look latino All right i don't look like some of the other mexican immigrants who come into this room but the latin like the broader latin culture is 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 you know, racially or ethnically diverse as any, as really any other in the new world. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to say two things before I get on that. Well, one more thing before I get on that. Um, yeah, I actually went to university in Madrid and uh, I spent like every day arguing with communists and socialists about <laughs> climate change, gun, uh, gun control. Uh, what were the big ones? Yeah, those were two of the big ones for sure. Uh, I forget there was, there was another big one, but those ones, I mean, 
I could never get any headroom with anybody. It's just, oh, I know, single payer healthcare. Uh, that the that you know, those were the ones that I was just. I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I, that's how I really cut my teeth on the uh, you know kind of these ideas. You know, like uh, libertarian type ideas. Uh, I was also so I there's a guy named Jesus Huerta de Soto who's a, uh, a student. Of, he was a student of Rothbard. Yeah. And he, he has a, a program down there. And so basically or down there over there in Madrid. And uh, one of his students was my professor. I used to go to his to Jesus Huerta de Soto's uh, classes as well. Um, and uh, I used to hang out with all the students. And then we'd go out to bars and stuff and we'd just be like arguing about about this type of stuff like uh so anyways i just thought that would add that in so i know exactly yeah. what you mean i mean right. with the what's, actually a lot of times well i don't know i, I maybe i haven't so, had so much experience with the u.s ones uh, but i mean I, I thought sometimes some of the european uh educated ones were worse i mean it is just complete indoctrination oh entirely so, i think and i think certainly and maybe this has changed a little bit but i think in the u.s there was uh there was always a sense of the other side having a place in the conversation. Yeah. And I've, and right. I, I will say living, living in the States and being somebody who's always been actively engaged in political ideas and also just finding himself in the margin of political ideas. Right. Like I basically went from a very boilerplate Republican to, uh, you know, just studying Austrian economics, philosophy, and just coming to these biz, what can broadly be called libertarianism, although we're all just dying for a new word. <laughs> to call ourselves, I think, for reasons we yeah. can get into. But I do agree with you that it could be, I think you deal with more of the indoctrination and, and maybe in part because of the cultural um, homogeny that occurs like in, in a European nation versus the broader mm -hmm. United uh, States. I also went to um, my first university was Florida International in Miami. And so I actually was literally talking to people from mostly all around the Caribbean, but still you know, you still had people from Europe and from different parts of the world that were kind of coming together and there, and maybe it's also just, an, and maybe it's also just a matter of time and place, right? When you're young, it's easier to have these ideas. And it's as you get older that you become more ossified and you don't like the concept of challenge. But even then I certainly, um, I start, even, yeah, even being, you know, cause you talked about being able to, to persuade people and to kind of like have conversations. And I have, I have a similar, I have a similar knack and you could usually get somebody to like maybe agree with you in part, but then it was never a matter of ideological change the way that uh, the way that you would maybe have hoped it yeah. would have been. Right. And I think as you get older, you kind of realize that about human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say when you were just starting is uh, uh, when you, how it, it, you have a homogeneity in, in Europe and a lot of other countries is, uh, you know, it, people can ridicule, you know, Fox News and, you know, obviously they'd say a lot of stupid shit um, and I don't agree, with, but at least there is some other thing. Like that's what a lot of people don't realize is that in a lot of countries, all they have is CNN right. or what is the equivalent of CNN and yeah. everybody watches that. That's all the information that they have. So, I mean, at least you have something that's kind of a battling, I think is a little bit better. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And certainly even with the internet, you've seen that. Um, and then also in the United States, we had talk radio too, right? Because Fox oh, News yeah. in and of itself is a very corporate, but talk radio was the one area where it didn't have the same level of control that, yeah. uh, that, that television did, or at least, or at least cable packages did, I guess I would say. So how, I know I'm sure coming up with like, coming up with a raw number is, is a tough thing to do on the spot, but what are the general how difficult is it really to like move it? Let's say you have mobile income and you just, and you're ready and you kind of want to, you know, you want to move somewhere else or maybe just have a place somewhere else. Is there like a number for, I know I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I know for some other countries, but for a country like Mexico, for like, generally speaking, what you could expect to pay in, you know, fees effectively, not necessarily. What do you mean? Estate. Fees? Yeah, or not just like the processing fees of like, oh, this to get the paperwork settled, not necessarily real estate or where you're going to live in the country. But, you know, I, I, I think I get what you're asking. Yeah, I guess I get what you're asking. So the visa is free. Um, so okay. the, the one thing I, I think that a lot of people, you know, they have um, they overthink stuff, you know, and um, maybe it seems like a big leap. Uh, maybe it seemed easier for me because since I'm I've moved around a lot and you know, coming right out of the Navy, I 
I don't know. I was just, it, for me, just moving around overseas and stuff was not a big deal, but I noticed, and I have noticed, over, you know, for a long time helping people that they just, they, you know, it's more like a, they put it as a long-term thing. Like, Oh, how much do I need? And how am I going to do this? Where am I going to live? How much is apartment? How am I going to bring my dog down? What's the, you know, what I say is just the visa is free to come to Mexico and almost everywhere if you're an American citizen. So just um, get an Airbnb, go for a month in a place that you think you might like or two weeks and uh, just go get a plane ticket and hang out. You don't have to make any long term, you know, get travel insurance, you know, in case an emergency happens. And, um, and that's it. You don't really have to make these big, giant, you know, long term plans. And you could go back two times or you know if you want to go quicker then you could go find a rental and start renting you know what i mean just and it's done and, and that's another thing is that you know in almost everywhere uh renting is easy you know it's not like the u.s where they do a credit check and all those forms and blah 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 mm-hmm. you can find somebody online you know on facebook or something or you can find someone that specializes in that normally a one-page contract or a few-page contract whatever very simple a year or six months you put down two months rent cash, boom, that's it. You they gave you keys, you walk in the door, you know? So it's very easy. Or now with Airbnb, it's, you know, it's very it's easy too. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of people just over, overthink it to get a visa is free to get, once you're ready to do a, a long-term thing and, and, in, in Mexico yeah, to do it by yourself, you're looking at about $350 and to get a lawyer to help you. Uh, it's uh, let's see, it, we'd be looking more like $600. Seven hundred dollars. That's that's actually quite reasonable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, and that's it's really, for yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say it's really just it really comes down to that. Like you were talking about the first step, which is how are you gonna support yourself financially, which is yeah. which is really at the at the core of most things we do, and you know everything. Most action is sort of has to be surrounded around the idea of, of of accumulating resources, right? Like even in a even in the state of nature that philosophers like to talk about 300, 200 years ago you still have to, um, you still have to get food. You still have to have shelter. Yeah. It's the basic Robinson Crusoe thing. Cause I remember, oh gosh, this is a quick, it's a quick, it's a quick aside, but I think it's, I think it'll have some fruit, which is like, I can remember like sitting in philosophy club in university or talking with people like, oh, I'm really interested in philosophy. Let me ask you about this one very esoteric idea that nobody else has ever heard of and to and ask you what you think of it. It's like, well, okay. Philosophy is more about to me, a process you know, about applying knowledge and like working through ideas. And it is like trying to remember specific concepts, like, you know, the, the ever dreaded trolley problem. But there was, a, there was a thought experiment that would be talked about with some frequency that people loved to like sink their teeth into. And I didn't, I don't, I'll, I'll see what you think of it, which was like, imagine if you had uh, a man with, what was it? Like if you, a man who couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't touch, is that person a human? Right. Or like, imagine we lived in a state of nature with, right. Or imagine we lived without language, right? Like what would that, what would that look like? Or how would that exist? Or if we lived still in like a primitive, in a primitive state, would things be better? And I, like I said, I kind of found these things to be like very low level thinking because Mm -hmm. they're, gosh, I wish I could remember the specific instance, but basically it was this conversation of like, Oh, well, how, how would it have been if we evolved without language? I think that's what it was. It's like, well, we wouldn't be the same creatures. We wouldn't have had, we, we wouldn't, I don't think we would have evolved in a certain step, in a certain sense, because we need these things like community and, and network and like network effects, which allows for knowledge to kind of grow at an exponential rate. But also we need to acquire, again, we need to live, we need to exist. And even if you're at a, at a subsistence state, you still have to do the thing. And where, where this connects to what you were talking about is when you were saying how people overthink things. And I, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I moved around a lot growing up. There are, um, I just got done moving my sister into her first apartment in Chicago. And it was like, we were a well-oiled machine. It was my siblings and I, we all did it. It took a couple hours in an afternoon and it was fine. Right. But if you, but I've helped other people move or talk to friends who are moving. And it's like one of the most stress inducing experiences, but because I've already been kind of on the go. I spend 40% of my year in a hotel as it is as at, at the moment. Like when you say something like that, I'm like, huh? So like I could probably just find like a summer home and maybe take a few <laughs> and take a few weeks to go out to, to do something like that. And it really wouldn't be 
like you were saying, it, it's not the investment that people think it is. And it doesn't have to be forever. I wonder where that comes from. This, like this, when I make a decision, it has to be forever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, that's been coming up a lot lately because, you know, uh, with COVID bullshit, people are like, um, Oh, what's it, what's it like? What's it, you know, what, what are the masks like in every city? What's the mask like in many of them? What, what is the, are they asking for vaccines here? Are they, Oh, maybe is anybody talking about it? Maybe in six months they could, maybe in a year they could, maybe this is the thing everywhere. This is what we're living in, you know? And so, yeah, nowhere is going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, uh, are people going to be like that? I mean, I understand they want to avoid that, but are they going to be like that forever now? Just they have to contact everyone. What's it like there? What's it, you know, and, and then oh, I can't move there. I can't because, you know, so, I mean, the best thing you could do is get, if you don't have a residency somewhere, just get a residency. You know, as we saw when they locked down borders, uh, in the, you know, in March, 2020, uh, it was just kind of an overnight thing. And, um, if you had a residency, you were able to open, you were able to enter different countries. If you didn't have a residency, you couldn't, well, Mexico has always been open. That's been the exception, but you know, that's a big thing, you know? So say that everything went to shit in the United States and you have, a, a, you know, a, a, a passport or a residency in Dominican Republic, for instance, well, you can get on a boat and go to Dominican Republic and you don't have to worry about it or, you know, somewhere else or, you know, wherever. Um, if you have a residency in Europe or citizenship there, you get the whole Schengen, the whole Schengen area. You know, it's giant. So you wouldn't have access to that if they did come to a point um, where that's so, so it's just the point is that uh, it's good to have different options, at least. It doesn't have to be forever. And right. I, nobody can tell you that, I, you know, people come to me. Well, do you think this could happen? I, especially in today's where everything, everybody's so, you know, they just follow what the politicians say. Yeah. The regime can change in every country and it just be the opposite. You know, I mean, we've been we've been great in Mexico because we had AMLO, who was surprising because he was a left wing, uh, you know, uh, kind of a Bernie Sanders type. Right. But he, he surprisingly, uh, uh, he's, he's been good on COVID, at least. And um, and so that's been great. But I don't know. I mean, who knows? In 10 years, we could have a some, you know, a really authoritarian person come in here and do some shit. And then I'm out of here. <laughs> so. I mean, uh, I don't I'm know. I'm curious, you know. given that you live in the country, what would you, if you have thoughts on it, and if you don't, that's fine. What do you think it was about like the incentives in front of somebody like AMLO that led him to not, to not just follow Canada and the U.S.'s example, which would seem like a very easy, I feel like, you know, thinking back to like somebody growing up, like Vincente Fox, I feel like he would have just followed the U.S. almost. I know oh, yeah. I don't know a ton about AMLO, but I know enough to know he was something of an outsider candidate, very left wing in certain respects, but then has also had this independent streak that probably that probably makes people like Joe Biden nervous, but makes somebody people, those of us outside of the what I like to call the cult of American democracy excited. So do you have any insight of that just as kind of while we're talking about yeah. it in passing? I don't, I, I mean, we can speculate, but obviously I don't know like exactly the inner workings of how they get people to do what they get them to do. Um, I don't know if it's what's genuine, what's not. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I was pretty horrified when uh, AMLO was first elected. And um, I thought it was going to be really bad. Uh, this was before, you know, a lot of other, you know, a lot of things that happened, which, you know, like the biggest, the big elephant in the room here, you well, know, he which was he elected in 20, sorry to cut you off, like in 2018, yeah. right? Or it was like pretty soon yeah. after Trump right. was elected in 2016. And, yeah. And it was kind of part of this populist wave. So it was something that I didn't really recognize at the time, but I do now is that, you know, more of the, the spectrum of capitalism and socialism. I mean, this is kind of something that we were, caught up in, I guess a lot of people, uh, the boomers are still caught up in arguing about, um, you know, this Cold War, you know, uh, type of rhetoric. And I really think that it's a lot more about globalism versus uh, populism, you know, and, mm. um, you know, de kind of decentralization versus centralization. Um, and really this kind of, you know, I, I try to um, connect with what I would never do in the past. I would never try to connect with communists and stuff i would just try to argue with them but i do try to not just not just um communists or, or really leftists like that like far left people but uh, you know you could just use language so you know when they say 
capitalism, you know, what they're talking or, or, you know, with, with, um, MLO, they mean like the worst thing possible. Yeah. Well, they're talking yeah. about globalist, you know, these, uh, these, uh, uh, you know, the federal, you know, the, the fiat banks and, um, all the corporations around them and all these, you know, the, the, this giant corporate global order. Right. And we recognize that as bad too. So right. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, what I was going to say is with, with, um, AMLO that all of his supporters say neoliberalism. Mm. So to me, that's fine. If you want to say neoliberalism, that's fine. Um, mm. you know, so yeah, you know, Keynesianism, global, uh, you know, authoritarianism with the, you know, corporatism, Keynesianism, whatever, you know, that's, um, so anyways, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, we're talking about the same thing. Obviously, we have a lot of different solutions. Right. right. But, um, you know, he did get popular at the same time. And I believe in the same wave of Bolsonaro, Trump, um, mm -hmm. you know, Brexit, this type of thing, which is kind of weird. And it, it, you could see the corporate press. I mean, all the big um, financial magazines just fucking attack uh, AMLO, you know, just like yeah. they did Trump. So, well, and Bolsonaro, right? So, and like, and then you listen that to shows somebody you. like Greenwald yeah. and you listen, like Glenn Greenwald is very, he really, really doesn't yeah. like Bolsonaro. Right. But then again, his husband is in the opposing party uh, uh, in, in his that. government. Yeah, yeah. His his husband is a member of the of Brazilian, I believe it's a Congress and it's, and, and not a parliament. I don't mean insult if I've got that wrong, but that, yeah. So he's a member of like, of the socialist party or the labor party or something down there. Yeah. So he is a, he is a political opponent. Apparently there's been some, retaliatory measures taken against them as a result. But, but again, well, but then you start to see things like, as it does relate to COVID, you know, COVID tyranny, we can call it at this point, mm -hmm. um, this, this medical, this medical industrial complex that is just taking over our, our entire civilization, really, if you think about yeah. it in, in, in rare form, um, it's, and it, you, the, you really mm -hmm. only see them in, in the Western hemisphere pushing against it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing that I've kind of evolved with my thinking, I mean, you know, as people that followed, you know, Austrian economics and, and this type of thing, you're very much involved in this, you know, the liberal ideals. And then yeah. you say, well, these other, these other things came along. And then you kind of realize that it's all liberalism. Like we've been swimming in liberalism in the West. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I try to think about is that as an anarchist, as somebody that wants decentralization, then we need to, uh, you know, realize that this is kind of a, you know, a Western liberal mentality that's, that is now being forced all over the whole world. And that, you know, if there are, there are people, you know, we can recognize, even though we recognize the benefits of the free market, for instance, you know, I can look at um, the, uh, like, you know, Mennonites and, uh, and things like this and other tribes yeah. and stuff, they, <clears throat> excuse me, they do, they, they do things in, they do do things in a, like a communistic type of thing. And, and that works for them. And, yeah. you know, and, and so that's fine. So we need to recognize that maybe it's not the most efficient, maybe it's not how we want to do it, but that different cultures, different ethnicities, different peoples, you know, like to do things differently and we should respect that. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I've, I've kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's a good evolution too, as well as far yeah. as the thought goes. Because one thing that, and this will this will actually this will actually connect well. Um, so, like one thing that I've been, I, I've, there are people now taking up individualism and saying, well, this is all wrong, or maybe not all wrong, but it's but it's not it's not the best it's not a good way of understanding the world. It doesn't bear fruit, uh, mm -hmm. as as we might say. But I don't, from what I can tell, a lot of that seems to be over like the hyper individualism that that evolved that that came to be at the end of the 20th century you know the 80s right the gordon gecko type archetype of like i'm just in it for me and that's it or the rugged individualism of the early 20th century that exists as well and i have a point that i like to say which is don't defend the straw man and if you're talking about things in terms of rugged individualism you're not really you're not defending, you're, you're only going after a strong man. So if you're going to, or a straw man, excuse me. And the point is this, like individualism in my mind was always a recognition of putting the individual before the group. That says nothing about whether you could live communally with certain people, because as you pointed out with the Mennonites, with the Amish, with other cult, with other cultures who don't, who aren't necessarily plugged into the, 
to the you know globalist mindset communalism mutual aid whatever words you want to put on it okay fine call it communism or socialism at this point i don't think it matters it's always an element of it. And even if you take the, if you, even if you take Christianity, right, the idea of charity is, is, is essential to the concept of Christianity. You are supposed to, you are supposed to, um, clothe the naked, feed the, feed the hungry, you know, care for the sick. That's, that's what you're called to do as a Christian. So for, at some point it, it's, it seemed to got, it seemed to get muddy. What I also enjoyed about what you were talking about is I thought it connected very well to another idea that I've been discussing that I call like the paradox of identity. And it's like, it goes back to say like, well, when they say capitalism, you know, they mean like the worst elements of global corporatism, right? And like, but then, but they call that capitalism, which is all bad. And we call capitalism that which is good. And, and this, exactly. this, this inherent paradox exists always in language, right? Other philosophers have pointed this out. And so my, my only point is to say that like, that's what we need you need rationation for it. You need to be able to rationally go through things because if you don't go through that to try and resolve like, okay, what is the paradox? Like you were saying, you might never have thought to have a conversation with somebody like this in, in good faith 10 years ago. But now, given the world we find ourselves in with the rise of populism, suddenly you can have conversations with people that you weren't, that you weren't thinking of before. I could say personally, I was a very pro-corporate, pro-corporate individual almost by default. Yeah, I was too. Right. Yeah. As, as, like kind of like you said, coming up in that tea party, yeah. like that, that tea party milieu, this conservatism Inc. And I just recently tweeted out um, progressivism is corporatism and it's all part of liberalism, as you kind of point out, too. It's different, mm -hmm. different spinoffs of liberalism. And here's how I would serve it up. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So I would put this is part of uh, the, the pantheonic approach that as I as I've entitled it, but like. You have socialism. You have this umbrella of a socialism that really came about in the late 20th, early 20th century, effectively. And you you saw it take at least three forms. And the, or the three dominant forms that arose were fascism, which was national socialism, communism, which was international socialism, and progressivism, which I think we can rightly call, and like a lot of things that started to click, as I said, corporate socialism. It, it, I mean, to put it to put it in a in a way that I think makes sense in our current day, right? Because with the progressives, the progressives weren't as ideologically concerned, especially being Americans, because you also had at this time kind of parallel to this. But a lot of the early progressives were influenced by like um, William James and other pragmatist writers, right? And pragmatism is this school of America. It was like considered the American philosophy because it was about the truth is whatever works. So they said, right. well, this progressivism seems to work. The socialism seems to work, right? Or certainly the current system isn't working because these people are getting rich and these other people aren't. So like, but, but, but as it stood, progressivism was kind of able to incorporate both, in my, in my estimation, left and right elements because it maintained like this, this desire for imperialism that a lot of people wanted, right? The Teddy mm -hmm. Roosevelt's of the world, but then also let them engage in the social engineering domestically that they were in, that, that people were interested in too. And certainly the form it's taken in 21st century America, I mean, we really saw this with the with Donald Trump's election where all of corporate America turned against the president of the United States, all of the corporate press, all of the media did uh, with, with, with great fervor, almost too great a fervor, really, mm -hmm. if you think about it. Suddenly you had corporations taking political positions that would have been thought to be insane. And over the last years, we've seen the rise of this tyranny. We see most of it through the lens of both corporations benefiting from it, right? Because it's the, it's the big pharma that's getting all the payout from these free vaccines. And it's, and, and, and most, and more importantly, it's the corporations that are requiring people to, you know, to go through a medical procedure. They are forcing it. It's not being done through the heavy handed, through the heavy handedness of the state. And so some would call that fascism, but that's where I'm kind of like, but it's not fascism because fascism really lost, right? They lost the 20th century. Yeah. Communism lasted a little bit longer, but progressivism seems to be the one that won out, the flavor of socialism that won the best. And I think the reason yeah. for that is the corporate element, right? Because somebody, uh, as, as one more example to maybe elucidate the point, because it's a little fresh in my mind, Bernie Sanders, right? Bernie Sanders is, you know, he maybe at one point in time, he was an ideological communist. And frankly, I'd probably respect him more if he was one today. But at some point in his, and, and or maybe, or maybe he was always more more corporate than that. But certainly, as he rose to prominence, has gained steam as a 
presidential candidate and become you know wealthier as a result he's always shown the propensity to bend the knee to the powers to the powers that be when it was required of him right we can make the easy comparison that is often made in our circles of ron paul not endorsing john mccain in 2008 versus bernie sanders endorsing hillary clinton in 2016 and i bring this up to say that's the corporate socialist aoc is the corporate socialist She's not really a threat to any establishment power, nor is she really a threat to any major corporation. You just might, your taxes might just get diverted in a different way than you had anticipated mm -hmm. originally. So I'm, I yeah. guess I'm kind of curious what you think about this and how this maybe maps onto other things you might be seeing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it gets very complicated. I mean, you know, like, so when you're talking about language, one thing that, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I'm a fan of how I would was taught is called the trivium uh, style math trivium quadrivium I'm not if you're sure if you've heard of that the seven liberal arts so basically uh, no, grammar logic and okay well it's, you start with the trivium which is grammar logic and rhetoric that's okay. how you would learn and that to grammar just meaning how do you label things in reality you know uh, <clears throat> language in general then once you do that you can use logic to recognize uh uh, you know what what it is it, you know and patterns exactly right? and yeah then, and then rhetoric would be how you would then use it to how go express and, it how so, to express it yeah I like I actually so, am not familiar with the term but certainly I uh, certainly with the underlying concepts right which just goes back to it's the called it's it's actually about. called a classical education um, okay. that's how especially in the United States when the United States starting part of the uh, what brought about the Enlightenment and a lot of different things was more people using that yeah. uh, today it's really only the Catholic uh, schools that uh, teach it at all or have which, it at all which is what i had so maybe that's why it's just like oh yeah this that just makes sense to me that's what i yeah had. <laughs> yeah so i just like to add it because i'm a big fan of that um I, I think that if a lot more people could think more about you know teaching their kids that way you know how they used to do they would teach you know that until they're like 13 teach them how to read and then that's it you know right <laughs> so, <laughs> just teach them how to think where you can get the information and that's it so yeah. um yeah, but uh, once you really get into the weeds with this, I mean, I think it's very interesting. Um, I mean, I think you're right, the way that you, you, you were talking about it. And it can get so complicated um, as far as what, you know, what is, what is this exactly? You know, a, another word that people use is technocracy, global technocracy. Mm, you know? Yes. And there's, I mean, there's certainly technocratic uh, elements of it. I mean, is, is it something that, uh, you know, is descended directly from the technocratic party? That, you know, um, I don't know, but um, yeah, progressivism had a lot to do with it. So when you were saying that it has left versus right uh, elements and the right was its imperialistic thing. So you consider right to be imperialistic, right? Not, not exclusively, certainly, but certain, but um, I would say that's uh, the warriors often come from the right. So I mm. use left and right. I would say, because there's a few different ways you can use the term, but like, right. So you might, I, I'm not necessarily using it on the order chaos idea, although it would still be part of the order. I think in that instance, I'm using it more as um, an expression of what, what would have been called like a liberal or conservative attitude. So I'm, mm. I, I actually try and this is one of the reasons why I kind of, why I'll, di why I'll disagree with people who say we need to like get rid of the left, because as far as I can tell, divergent personalities <laughs> are required for a certain level of civilization, right? So it, 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 on a small level, it doesn't always work. But when you, when you actually expand that out, suddenly it actually does really help to have the, like, the super flaky graphic designer and the guy who shows up every day at 6 a.m. on the dot and works you know, a 10-hour shift, right? Like there's, there's something like, it's the, it's, as Mises would put it, this is, the, this is part of the division of labor. And so, well, so that's why I'm not necessarily somebody who would like, I don't like the idea of excluding the left or the right from conversations. Kind so of, no, right. For you, no, no, uh, no hoppy and physical removal squads for you. See that, that that's an interesting point because then, <laughs> well, because then you're at the question of like, well, what I think, I think like a small covenant community to, you know, to push the idea, a small covenant community could reserve that right. Right. And in mm -hmm. fact, maybe would what I've been, it's that's just not that's not really the environment in which I was in, raised in like I said I moved around a lot as a kid yeah. I was always the outsider I was always I was the kid that was bullied I was you know I expressed myself through art and you know music and things like that so it's 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 a it's a tough I don't I see the lot I see the logic of positions if even if I don't accept them and that's an Aristotle quote that hangs in my 
in my home is, you know, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. So I, so I use left and right to mean more like personality, like general personality types, the way Jordan Peterson, uh, like some of the research that he did before he blew up um, would discuss, but I can understand that you can talk about it in different elements. So in particular Mm -hmm. left and right, what I'm referring to is would be like to put it in terms of people, Woodrow Wilson left Teddy Roosevelt, right. Cause they were both progressives. And the idea is that, um, progressivism is left and right are contextual terms for me as well. So, and they can only be understood in terms with, in terms of an overarching idea. So for example, a right progressive is very different from a right wing liberal. Does that, right. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I'm trying to resolve the question of how is it that a conservative is both anti-liberal and anti-progressive? Well, I don't think that they really are. I think in many respects, some of them are like right-wing liberals or right-wing progressives, as as yeah. it were. Like Mitch McConnell would be a right progressive in my in, in, under my formulation, and maybe maybe it's not a good formulation, yeah. but it kind of helps. I think it helps put things into a perspective that that breaks us out of like predefined notions of like this strict number line that we tend to think of as it relates to left and right. You know what I think is really interesting uh, is w- when you talk to. Um, when you talk to left-wing people, like I would say, like you mentioned some um, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Jimmy Dorf, or, you know, mm-hmm. people like this, uh, they think that the right is always winning. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and if you, and you talk to right-wing people, they think the left is always so, winning. Yep. And it's weird. It's a weird thing. I've been able to really figure that out, to be honest with you. I was actually, I was thinking about that, I think earlier today, because I was driving, yeah. because it is a constant theme and we're seeing it on display right now in the States where we're, where we're having this conversation of the debt ceiling and funding the government. And it is, it is the case. I, the only way I could try to make sense of that. And that's what I try to do at benawake.com is I would say that's part of the cult of American democracy is, mm-hmm. is you're pitting it's, it's this cult that, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, I mean that in a descriptive sense, right? We're all part of various cults, if you like, if you want to take the root of like what cult meant in ancient Greek. And if you, you know, look at culture, right? Like the, the root is there, etymologically speaking. So there is, a, there, is a, there is a case to be made for it. So not, not cult in like the dismissive sense where like these people are crazy and they're all going to kill themselves. Although maybe in the case of cult of American democracy, that's still, that's still the thing. But the cult of American democracy, what it does is it has this left and right component, this liberal conservative component, and that gives you your prepackaged talking points so that you can just get angry across the other at the other side, which is why they'll get so upset if you try to inject, you know, maybe a maybe a out of the box libertarian solution to a situation or even an out of the box socialist solution to the situation, as the case may be. Right. Or, or the greens like the or, the or like a very. Once you step outside of that three by five index card, you're now outside of the frame that people can really reference. And then, but, but for the people inside, for the people inside the circle, for the people inside the cult, before I get too ahead of myself, that's why you always think the left is winning. And you always think the right is winning because you can point to different things in reality. And given that media consumption has become so siloed or maybe as siloed as it always been, but there is the case for those of us who want to have alternative media to actually consume it is you only ever see that the right is winning. You only ever see that the left is winning. Where I would make maybe one equivocation is if you're talking about the corporate type, right? Like just the, the default NPC left, they don't see anything from the right at all, right? So all they see is the left-wing dominant corporate press cathedral narrative, and they literally can't escape it. Like, I think there, I think there are people who are like, well, what do you mean? You can only ever be on the side of Fauci or you're against science. And I think I do, I do think that is the case for people. And that would be different from a Jimmy Dore or um, or a Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, I mean, they're just like that's a good way of putting it. Kind of the occult or uh, what are you saying? The, the, like a, a liberal democ- of, uh, yeah, the cult, democracy. Yeah, the, the cult the of American, American democracy, democracy is the is the term I use. And then the other part of it is I think it's difficult to. Uh, this is why I talk about practicing skepticism and not just being a skeptic. Is it's difficult to look at yourself and to see where your shortcomings are, right? Like this is, it's yeah. people would, people would rather live their lives in squalor than actually, than, than to take the steps to fix themselves. Sometimes I'm convinced. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that at a basic sociological level, we tend to associate ourselves with the good 
and other people with the evil. So if I am left, therefore, if I am a socialist there and social, therefore socialism is good and anything that's not socialism isn't. And in fact, Glenn Greenwald has called, he's like, he says, well, I basically would consider Tucker Carlson a socialist, right? In, in, in real terms, like whatever else you might think of, whether he has a case or not, that's like a rationalization that I think we kind of make post hoc in our own minds to, to try and, uh, to, to, to try and push up against cognitive dissonance and, you know, and to yeah. increase confirmation bias. But I was, I was looking for something, uh, for a post that I put, but I can't find it. Um, I put it on Facebook and I got kind of a lot of, uh, traction. Mm-hmm. It was just an observation I made that I thought was funny that it has to do with what you're talking about. So, you know, people would come down, people that come down here, <clears throat> okay, so we're talking about Democrats. I don't, yeah. don't even say left-wing people, but just, I just call them Democrats. So Democrats, big D Democrats, when they come down here, they, they say, or they see everybody wearing masks. They say, oh, in Mexico, everybody wears masks and everybody follows the rules. Now, any person can walk around and see that that's not true. I mean, it yeah. varies. I mean, you go to some like really inner areas and it, maybe a lot of people have it on, but you go out outside and nobody, maybe someplace 30%, someplace 50%. But there's no, and another thing they'll say is that all the Mexicans wear masks and the only people that aren't wearing masks are Americans. Mm-hmm. That's what they'll say. Now that is not true at all. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's another thing is that a lot of the expats that are down here are Democrats. But these these Democrats, they think all other Americans are they must be for some reason, most Americans are Trump voters, Mm. but they're not. Yeah. You know, Trump's not anywhere. They keep talking about Trump voters like where Trump's not even around. I mean, what's going on? Like, I don't So their whole like uh, political ideology is either for or against Trump. And he's not even here anymore. It's like the weirdest Mm -hmm. thing. But anyways, but they so they will like actually hallucinate if you ask like you see them like you ask them they will say oh yeah all the mexicans are wearing masks and all, unless they're just completely lying about their experience yeah right right right. They, but it's what are you they, looking for right they're looking yeah. for, and they see something that's not even happening and they'll yeah. go back home and that's what they remember you know they will remember oh yeah i went and it was all the the uh you know uh, republican uh, americans uh, you know white uh, republican uh, Americans that were down there in Mexico not following the rules and all the Mexicans were and it's not even it's not even close to the truth it's the weirdest <laughs> thing and they can yeah. make this whole thing up to confirm what they saw well at least in part because they were probably just at the all-inclusive resort that they went to and then into the right. heavy tourist areas where well yeah the all the Mexicans are, are wearing, wearing masks because they want to get their the business. employees <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah right yeah exactly it's like it's the same it was the same the same point that I made earlier right you know if you talk about like the Mexican immigrant population in the Chicago area, which is kind of where I spent most of my childhood. And it was like, well, you don't look like those people. So you can't possibly be Spanish in any way. It's like, you don't all, you know, and I've been to Mexico, so I know what Mexicans look like. And I even knew at that young age that that person was full of crap. And you even know more now as a, as a, if you actually go, because uh, if, if you go to places, because, yeah, you know, because it, I think you have, there was this art, there's this essay I read forever ago, and I think it's called K theory, but I've never been able to find the original source, but it was basically like, it was kind of this thought experiment type thing where it's saying there is this capacity of our minds to notice difference. Right. And so like, if you walked into a forest and you just said, Oh my gosh, look at all these beautiful trees around me. This is great. But then if I said, Hey, this is a birch tree, right now, the next time you walk into that same forest, you're going to notice every single one of the birch trees that were there. Or you're going to notice the oak trees or the maple trees, as the case may be. And there's something, and I, it, it, it's, it's this natural categorization process where, with the mask, it's a very easy binary. So I can always put, mm-hmm. I can, I can see where people, whether people are wearing one or not. And I think if you're ideologically driven, you're more likely to go through and like and like push it further. One thing I will say, just to report to the listeners, is even in the United States, even in places where it is a problem, it. it maybe New York is an exception to this, right? And so much of our media is in New York that there's a, there's a confirmation bias there, but traveling across the Midwest. And, and I mean, I've been to trade shows recently and like, I'm in, you know, I'm in manufacturing, so it's a different, it's a different selection bias, but you're talking like 20 to 50% of people are like 100% mass compliant as, mm-hmm. as it relates to, depending on the situation that you're in. I mean, yeah, I think some bars and restaurants have gotten bad, but I just heard, 
um, I just heard a story today where the guy walked in on Tuesday, had had dinner at a place, no problem. Nobody made a, a fuss over wearing a mask. Wiped in on Wednesday and they had to wear one. He's like, what the heck? You served me yesterday. What's the issue? He's like, well, one person complained on the staff. And so now 100% compliance is required. Okay. Those are those are often the situations that uh, that I think lead to this, lead to the situations. And that's where personally my decision has been, you know, where I don't have to, I won't, you know what I mean? It's uh, and, and, and to, and to be the example in that, in that respect, because there's a network effect that occurs with all. Oh that. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, but I just thought that was more of the, you know, what I was mentioning is just the fact that they're not even in their own country. So they're right. in another country, they're absorbing, obviously they're absorbing media from the United States and they're hallucinating what they're seeing from this media that they're absorbing. And, and that's going to be their memory forever. And it's a wrong memory. So that's the, just the power of the narrative and the media. I mean, obviously we, we know how powerful they are at this point, but it's just, it's really, it's it's pretty incredible. Remember. Yeah. It's still good to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hey, listen, James, I really appreciate you. um, You you recording a little bit later than you normally do. I don't want to keep Mm -hmm. you too much longer. So why don't you drop uh, your plugs, let people know where to find you and we can maybe continue this conversation another day. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so my most of my stuff is borderlessblog.com. Uh, that has my blogs. I don't really do too many blogs, but um, I have some, and it also has my podcasts on there. So if you go to the Borderless blog, it has both my blogs and my podcasts. Um, and there, you know, if people are thinking about uh, moving abroad, then, um, you know, or, or investing abroad or whatever, you know, you want to do something in Mexico, they can uh, schedule a, a strategy consultation for me there with me there. And, um, I also have borderlesshealthinsurance.com. And, um, so that's just for people that are, uh, expats or live globally. Uh, they can pay a lot more money, um, in health. And that's just another way that you can save money. So I, you know, I can put like people uh, in a lot of tourism. Well, you, go, you, you can do medical like tourism surgery. Well, you can you can do medical tourism, but the thing about um, health insurance is that you need long-term health insurance, um, mm. especially you know that's going to cover you when you're in you know if you're living internationally. So yeah, I mean, um, travel insurance is great, but that's usually what somebody uses if they don't have health coverage, uh, like mm. insurance coverage. Um, so if you need anything, you know, surgery or something like that done, then um, you know there are outstanding hospitals down here. Um, and, um, and so you could, you know, you can get it done and, and you just know that it's not, even though it's cheaper, uh, you know, a lot of things, if people think that everything is just dirt cheap all throughout Latin America, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, there, you know, you can, if you go to, a, they have really nice hospitals with great care and all that, but you can get really big bills, um, that can wipe you out. So that's kind of, you know, I help people with that, um, real estate and, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, they can go to bullsblog.com and uh, check out all my stuff there. Awesome. Well, and if you're listening to this because you're a fan of James, I am the mind behind the Been Awake Project for better sense making. You can go to beenawake.com, subscribe with your email, you where you'll get news, you'll get news, mindset, and philosophy. I would do podcasts where I do interviews, solo shows, try to break down the news and make sense out of this crazy world we live in. And you can find me on all social media at the LB Moniz. Thanks for coming on, James. All right. Thanks for having me. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.